Yeah. So you have sweat, <laughs> and you have mackerel juice. Yeah. <laughs> it's the best part of prison is the smells. Hi, this is Justin. And this is Laura. And it's count time, your four o'clock stand-up count. We're here to talk about prison economics. So prison kind of seems like it's its own ecosystem. So maybe go through some of the economics involved in that mm-hmm. ecosystem. It is its own ecosystem. It's its own entity. So once you go into a prison, that prison has existed, you know, for however many years. And it just kind of, from day one, creates its own environment and with its own money system, its own system of politics and of, of you know, different things. I can only speak for from my own experiences and really fascinating. I uh, I know I've been, uh, I know I've mentioned this before, but been to state prison and federal prison, and they're two very different ecosystems is a good word. The economics starts on day one, you know, when you get booked in, you get booked in with whatever money you have on you, you know, so you don't get to be like, hey, let me go to the ATM and pull out, you know, some money from my account so that I can survive in here for however long I happen to be in here. It's whatever money you have on you that the cops don't take, you know, when you get arrested. So if they don't take any of the money, then you've got your little, you know, a couple hundred bucks or whatever you got on you. If it was me, I'd have like $6 on me, you know, like I don't have any money. Yeah, like like, I don't, that's a couple I don't walk around, you know, with, with cash on me. Nobody really walks around with large no, amounts of anywhere. cash on them. And you've got to go and figure out how to get your money out of your account and put it on your new account, which is your inmate number, and it goes into a trust fund. Mm-hmm. It's the inmate trust fund. And uh, so everybody gets their money deposited into a giant pool, and then a computer system keeps track of which part of it's yours. And that's what you use to pay for your hygiene, soap. Well, that's hygiene. But um, <laughs> also, uh, you know, just to visit. Like uh, for right now, I believe it's $5. Or it, no, it might even be $13. I think it actually is up in the teens now to visit somebody at Douglas County if you're at home. Because the convenience of being able to sit on your computer desk and talk to your loved one is super great. You know, because nobody wants to drive all the way downtown to the jail to look at a computer screen and hold a nasty phone up to your head that other people have had on their head today. (laughs) You know, like, I mean, you just think of those kind of things when you're in prison because everything is so gross. Like, it's maybe not on the outside really gross, but you know, like, on the inside what's going on and it's not good. But anyway, to get back, that's when it started for me is trying to figure out, okay, well, how am I going to survive in here? Because they're going to feed you the very bare minimum that you are allotted by the FDA or by the... Three hats and a cat. Yep, exactly. Yep. So, you know, I'm going to definitely get up for breakfast and I'm going to definitely be, you know, eating everything that they give me. So that's three hours of your day that you can maybe account for. And that's being generous, you know, Uh, maybe a half an hour for each meal is an hour and a half really that you're spending uh, eating. The rest of the day, you got to figure out how to fill. You know, a lot of people do have jobs. I know that in the federal system, everybody's got to have a job, even if it's what they call a ghost job. And a ghost job is exactly what it sounds like. Like they write your name that you work somewhere, but you don't actually have to go anywhere. Like, and that's a rule. Like that's an official stance, you know, at the prison. Why, why is that? Well, though? because they don't have enough jobs for everyone to have a job. So, you know, you might be on the road crew or wait, not the road crew. That's more of a work release 
option. But let's say, okay, let's say you're just on grounds. So your job is to mow a portion of the yard, this 11 by 12 foot, (laughs) seriously, 100 square feet of the yard. Because this prison has 700 lawnmowers. And they have to buy these lawnmowers because they're given a budget every year. That budget pays for the staff, the administration, you know, as well as all the departments. So you've got the wood shop, you've got the education department, you've got whatever it is that is in the prison, which is all, you know, everything that you can think of Mm -hmm. that you would need in a tiny little town if you were living in a bubble. You're going to have a small version of everything that you need. They have to spend that budget Every year or else they get a reduced budget for the next year. Yeah, kind of like city planning. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. You got to spend it or you lose it. Right. And I had a number of jobs in prison. Like I started off in the carpentry shop in Forest City, Arkansas. And I have no experience in woodworking or I don't know what different tools were at that point. You know, like I had to just kind of like figure it out. Yeah. It, It was a good experience, you know, because I learned what different tools were and what they did. But... At the end of the day, like, it's just a time killer, you know, for people, mostly. Most people have the job, and they go to their job, but it takes 10 minutes, and then you're done. So you still have to, you know, it's not like an eight-hour job. You know, a lot of them aren't. Some are, you know, like, it depends on really what you want to do with your life in prison. Like, if you really wanted to learn something, you've got to do the work Mm -hmm. to get to the point to where you can learn how to do whatever it is you're trying to do. My grandfather is in prison, as we have discussed, and Mm -hmm. I've heard many tales about his various jobs that he's had while incarcerated, sorry, while uh, being in prison. And um, they've been pretty interesting, anywhere from the 60s up through now. It's varied quite a bit, um, for obvious reasons. But now, what is that like? What does it look like? Um, What was your experience? Well... I know, it's interesting you say that, you know, it was different in the 60s and 70s and 80s, and I wasn't obviously around during that time, <laughs> but one of my favorite authors that I used to read when I was locked up was a guy named Edward Bunker, and he actually was Mr. Blue in Reservoir Dogs. My buddy at Yankton actually introduced me to him, and this guy started going to prison, I think, as a juvenile. He started writing about his experiences during the 60s and 70s and, mm-hmm. and during that time, and so, like... Him writing about his experiences in the prison system in California, which is one of the most notorious prison systems in the world, it was just fascinating because he started off and he would work different jobs the whole time and writing about the different jobs that he had and the different things that he did in prison was super interesting because it was totally different then than what it is now. As far as like what I could kind of glean from his experiences was that they were much more humane in the way that they treated the inmate population like you know it wasn't a business number one so nobody's making money off of it which you know probably could be a good thing and could be a bad thing because you know california having the one of the largest prison populations in the country it's definitely going to be a drain on society you know and so you need to have prison industries that are making the different products or that are offering the different services like so he had you know uh you know they they did everything from I mean, telephone repair to, you know, license plates, different things like that, you know, like, so all sorts of different professions you could go into, whereas today that's just not the case. So you brought up an interesting point I wanted to to touch Mm -hmm. on too, just lately. The New York Times did a cool piece in 2019 
about the kind of the pros and cons of having workers who are incarcerated doing jobs. Now, of course, it's the whole question. One, is it fair to have them do jobs that people who are on the outside could do? Then, of course, you have other questions like, is it up to par as far as standards go? There's a lot of back and forth. But the other side of that coin is at least you're teaching someone to have the skills so when they are released which hopefully they are, depending on the individual, mm-hmm. that they can then use those skills to become productive members of society. Meanwhile, these companies are paying next to nothing and making a huge margin. Sure. So it's it's definitely a pros and cons, but I did think that article was interesting just to kind of bring to light. Well, so in the South, they still use prison labor in a, more of a commercial setting. So, you know, they have what they call farms, you know, in Louisiana and Texas and you're going to prison, but you're actually going to be made a slave. Essentially it's Mm -hmm. modern day slavery. I think that if it was an option rather than a requirement, that would be a huge determining factor as to whether or not it's right. You know, because for me, I would any day of the week choose to work rather than sit around and do nothing. And my time just drag on, you know, so I had a job Every single place I was at, by day three, I had a job, you know, and it was always a requirement. Like in the feds, anyway, you have to get a job, whether it's something, uh, you can get a waiver usually if you have a disability and you don't want to work or something like that. But my first celly at Forest City was this 77-year-old Native American dude in a wheelchair, and even he had a job. Every morning, he wheeled himself over to the law library and, and sat there and checked out typewriters to people, you know, stuff like that. There's always something that you can do. They also have ghost jobs. And so like if you really you want the requirement of having a job, you want to meet that so you don't get placed somewhere, but you don't actually want a job and you don't want to get paid anywhere, they just give you a fake job. And so <laughs> so but going back to like modern day slavery, so in the South it's not an option for you. You know, you go into this prison, you're gonna work. I don't think that that's right. You know, you shouldn't be forced to work, but I think if you want to work, for me anyway, it was a great practice for when I was going to get out. You know, I had to get up every day. I had to get up, go to breakfast, then go to work every single day, Monday through Friday. And it got to the point where actually, like when I was at Marion, I had a great job. I was working in the steam shop, which was as a pipe fitter. And I learned how to weld. I learned uh, a number of different things that I never would have learned on the outside. And they're not things I'm doing right now, but they definitely laid the groundwork for me to be able to be successful when I got out. Which I think is important, and we do come across um, individuals, of course, but companies, programs that are genuinely invested in creating those opportunities and skills, and some who just put it on a piece of paper. So, food for thought. What's interesting for me is having experienced both like where your grandfather's at, which is a state prison, and where I was at, which I also was at your grandfather's prison for a year and a just a little over a year, which is definitely not anything compared to his 30 something years in 50. So he just had his 56th anniversary. Yeah. Jeez. Not at the same facility, mind right. you, but the majority had now, I guess. Yeah, you don't, been there. you don't start, you know, at a low mm. slash medium if you've got a life sentence. You're going to start all the way at the top and work your way down. Yeah, he has two consecutive life sentences. Jeez, they really. <laughs> I think they do that just to like assure that like if some law passes where 
your one life sentence gets commuted that you've got the other one and there's no way they're going to do twice. I have a mild interest in law Mm -hmm. in Nebraska. It's because there's a clear difference between a life sentence and let's say a 99 year sentence. Oh yeah. But you you would think, oh, it's 99 years. Well, you can have the years, if if a year is stated, it can be decreased. You can make different types of deals over time. The appeal process Uh is very different. If you have a life sentence in Nebraska, those are not forgiven and you can't reduce your time. Right. And you don't get good appeals, time on a life sentence. Yeah. Right, yeah. And the appeals are so different. The, oh, the process, yeah, the filing, imagine. everything. Yeah. So him having two, you're right. They do that so that there it's is if another nail some in the crazy. Coffin. Yeah. That, that is why you well, are correct. Sort of like to bring that back. You mentioned you have a mild interest in law. Well, having gone through the process, the legal process, an inmate has also And a very vested interest in in the law and how it applies to him or her. So there's a lot of prison jail, well, call them jailhouse lawyers, you know, and they file motions Mm -hmm. pro se. Your right is to act as your own attorney, even after you're convicted, you know, Mm -hmm. so you can continue to fight your case and people often do for years and years and years. Mm -hmm. And that's how they do their time. You know, it's I mean, they, they literally go to the law library every day and they study these laws that are not going to do them any good. It's just holding on to hope, you know, mm-hmm. some small grain of hope that's out there. You know, like if you've got a 30 year sentence in the feds, which is like 360 months or something like that. And, and I've known several people that have that, you know, and several people that have done the 30 years as well, you know, and, and gotten out. But also people that have had like Obama, for instance, he commuted a ton of people's sentences that were in, that was all the sentences for crack cocaine. Back right. In the, yeah. You know, Bill Clinton. Yeah. So so how this relates back to prison economics? Are you saying the hope is is a currency? No, the hope <laughs> is those people charge for their services. Oh, you're saying so so other incarcerated individuals are paying these other jailhouse inmates, lawyers yeah, as you, to fight as you their said. Cases okay, I'm thinking it's just for their own. No. You're saying that they essentially commission yes. in-house, so to speak. <laughs> and they charge real money for it. I mean, it just depends on mm. what you know, it depends on what their background is. You know, your average drug dealer isn't going to try to be a jailhouse lawyer, you know, because let's be real, we're probably not going to be successful. But I would say that, you know, somebody who has a white collar crime, you know, maybe they come from a corporate environment where they were in corporate finance or something like that. And they have some experiences in the professional world like that. You don't have to be a graduate of law school to sound like a lawyer. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like if you read enough of the statutes, you know, you can sound pretty convincing. I wouldn't know. My case was pretty cut and dry. I didn't have a whole lot of loopholes. So I was on video. Uh, oh, no. So, uh, so yeah, a, uh, you know, a jailhouse lawyer will charge, not as a per hour basis, because that would get really ridiculous. Uh, also, you can't keep records of stuff like that around you because it's all contraband. You know, if they find out you're doing that, they know it's happening, but mm-hmm. if they find out that blah, 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 charges X, Y, and Z per hour for legal services, they would have to put, the prison would have to put a stop to it, you know, so they would rather not discover anything like that. So you can't like write down like, oh, this, that, and the other, you know, so you probably charge per motion or, you know, per filing, whatever, something like that would, you know, run. I'm not sure what it would run. I didn't ever buy any. So as as a general idea, even though we don't know numbers, of course, they're not charging the way that we would 
on the outside, but you're, it is real money, you said. Well, and- it's real money in terms of it has value to the people that okay. are. So that's what it, I'm yes. wondering. So is it. Let me clarify. Okay. It's, so it, it, it might be monetary 20 boxes currency. of. That's so perfect. let's talk about currency. Okay. Let me start at the very beginning. So in county jail, it's you're trading different items that you buy from the commissary. Now, the way that the value is determined is you can only spend $50 a week in the county. There's a limit to how much people can have. So a lot of times people in county just do like a two for one, you know, or one for two. So like you go to them and you get a honey bun. You just have to pay them two back when it's your day to go to the store. And so a lot of people, it's like getting a payday advance loan. Sometimes when, when it gets desperate, it's three for, you know, you know oh so you got to pay three back, but you know, you're hungry. You haven't eaten in like two months. You're in county jail now. And now all you want to do is eat and sleep. Uh, so in state prison, it was, it was tokens and you are able to get 15 of them a week and they buy a soda a piece. They're 50 something cents. At least they were when I was there. So that's their value is 50 cents a piece. So let's say you want to buy some pills or whatever it is you're buying. Mm-hmm. You know, it all has a token value. So you might be hoarding tokens for months and months and months, saving up for your birthday or something. And then all of a sudden you get shook down the night before by an officer. They discover all of these tokens and they take them. Mm-hmm. So you lose them. You don't get the value. You don't get you know them put in any kind of account for you. Like it's gone. You just got robbed. You know, so... That happens all the time. So you have to be careful like where you're going to store the different things that you're using for currency. In the feds, it's stamps. In some places in the feds, it's mackerel. As in the fish? Yeah. Something that nobody eats in the real world. I was just going to say, is that for eating? Or yes, is that it's for eating. Because I don't eat. What are you going to do dollar- with that? I was going to say, I don't eat dollar bills, but no. I want do- I trade dollar bills. This is No, you buy them because people do eat them. It's the cheapest <laughs> form of protein that you can buy for the most amount of protein that Andrew you can Omega get. Andrew Omega-3s, all in one. Yeah, they yeah. Don't really, I don't think anybody considers that. I, at least I didn't. <laughs> but uh, you get you know a bag of mackerel. It comes in a, a bag. A bag. Mm-hmm. It's like, uh, you would think, listen, it's like tuna, except imagine if your tuna was in a bag of oil. So it's in a bag of oil. Are we talking like those convenient little No, you zippers? can't see through them. No, they're not zippered. You, you tear them. You can't reseal them, thank God. You can only imagine what that would have been like. <laughs> to build on that, a mackerel bag is a dollar. You're going to go to the store, you're going to get 20 mackerel, okay, or 40 mackerel. Or maybe you owe the ticket man and you lost on, on a bet or something. You owe like $100. You can go get 100 mackerel and that's how you pay your debt. When you say ticket man, is that someone who takes bets? Like a it's bookie? A bookie. Yeah. The bookie. Can you explain what they do? What they do is they hand out tickets every week. Uh, well, it's actually every day, I think, because things change on a day-to-day basis. And so it's amazing. Like it's literally like a walking... You know, he takes the bets and he places them and people win big. Like, I mean, really big. Some people have won thousands of dollars. That's I mean, a the, lot of mackerel. The, the, it is a lot of mackerel. You're <laughs> never going to open that bag of mackerel and eat it. But listen, like some people do. I have. Like I've eaten the mackerel. It's not that bad. I. It smells. Is a whole mackerel? No, it, it's-, it's slurry. Oh my god! Yeah, it's a it's a greasy, smelly mess, and you have to eat it right after you're done working out. Yeah. So you have sweat, and you have mackerel juice. Like it's the best part of prison is the smells. <laughs> 
so in forest cities or in a lot of other places in the feds, stamps are the currency. So a book of stamps is worth $5. These books of stamps have been passed around for years and years and years. Okay, so yes. when you say when you say yes. stamps... Forever stamp from forever, the post like, office. You, I, I you could peel them off and, and mail a letter with okay, them. Okay, okay, yes. just making sure. You can buy one flat book, is what it's called, per mm-hmm. week. And that's just like you would go to the post office and buy a book of stamps. They'd give you a flat yeah. book of stamps, right? Mm-hmm. You can do the same thing in prison. And that flat book, I believe it's like $10 now. It was 9 and some change when I was in there, but I think postage went up so stamps have different values and i was super confused when i first got there because it would just make sense to me that the value would be ten dollars if i buy the book of stamps for ten dollars and that's the currency then wouldn't a book of stamps which is 20 stamps be ten dollars no so let's say you've got a a guy who's been hoarding stamps for 20 years or he he isn't because he would never get away with it for that long but let's say he's the one that has all the stamps right now you buy them from him, you buy 20 books, you get them for $5 a piece. The books are used stamps. You The stamps you buy in the yard, are they're 20 stamps. They've been passed around. Usually they're of a stamp on the front and a stamp on the back uh, for each individual stamp. And <laughs> I know it sounds weird. Wait, so the stamps by themselves are taken off the backing and they're stuck together? Yes, back to back. To back. But doesn't that render them? Okay, go ahead. Yeah, no, I'm you're not going to mail anything with these stamps, okay. most likely. Like, <laughs> I mean, if you want to mail something, you're going to buy a nice stamp that, from the from the store okay. and put it on your on your envelope because the stamps that you buy on the yard usually are just stuck to each other back to back. So you've got you know a forever stamp on the front and a forever stamp on the back, and that's two stamps. So let's say you're buying something that costs ten stamps, you'd only need five of those. But they're not, you don't peel them apart. You can't mail anything with them. Like, that's why they've lost their value to a certain degree. But if you were to buy a flat book from the store for $10, its value is only $7. So let's say something costs a book of stamps and you give them a flat book. Well, you're giving them a flat book. You're not going to get change. You know what I mean? You're not going to get $3 back. You're going to be paying $10 for what you, you know, we're going to buy. But that guy would have accepted, you know, yard stamps too. And so you could easily have gotten whatever it is you needed to get for $5 because you just bought stamps off of people on the yard. So I know it's a little bit confusing and it's a little bit convoluted, but eventually it makes sense the more you deal with it every day. Everything you do requires some form of currency. It doesn't matter what it is. If somebody does something for you in prison, they're not doing it for free. And if they are doing it for free, then there's other intentions behind it. Produced by Daniel Argabright, music by Elliot Torres and Matt Williams, art by Nick Chalupa at Hikari Studios. Thank you for listening, and just remember, we're all your neighbors.